Welcome to the Mental Agility for Forensic Scientists podcast. I'm your host, Jen Dillon, and this is the first edition of season two. So welcome. Thanks for joining us. I wanted to just take a quick moment and mention that the intention of the first season of this podcast was to identify the problem of stress experienced in the field of forensic science, really bring awareness to that and develop a sense of community and a purpose. I really would like to focus this year on providing solutions and continuing the conversation. So we're really going to try to bring different techniques and concepts that would be practical for our use. We've proven that we we experience stress. Those of you who, who listen regularly have reached out to me and confirmed that things are resonating with you. Um, so what can we do about that? How can we develop a system where we can really attack the problem and, and take care of ourselves, learn to regulate the emotions that we're bound to experience as we navigate the facts of life in, in that we will experience ups and downs in this field. And we just want to try to be as mentally fit as we can. With that in mind, I am just going to do a quick recap of what stress response is. And then I'm going to introduce a relaxation response and how we can develop techniques to initiate that relaxation response. Essentially, stress is experienced Um, It can be real or perceived, any experience that we have, and the autonomic nervous system and the endocrine system are going to respond. So our endocrine system, this is composed of all the glands that produce and secrete hormones that regulate the activity of cells and organs. The amygdala, which is a part of our brain, a part of the limbic system of the brain, evaluates the degree of threat that we've just experienced, and it triggers a cascade of hormonal reactions in the body in preparation to either fight, flight, or freeze. Our autonomic nervous system, which is composed of nerve fibers that extend through the body, it connects the brain with organs and some of our muscles, The autonomic nervous system will initiate the sympathetic part of the nervous system, which is this fight, flight, or freeze. So as stress hormones go up, inflammation occurs, digestion ceases, blood goes to the extremities. All of these things happen to prepare our body to protect ourselves. So back in the day when we were hunters and gatherers, this was a system that was really built for survival. You know, so we see a lion and our autonomic nervous system kicks in and says, we probably need to flee because we're not going to fight a lion. All of these physiological responses start to prepare our body to be able to run away as fast as possible. Typically, what would happen if we got away from the lion, we would make it back to a cave, we would make it back to our community, and we would begin to slowly recover. You know, oh my gosh, I just ran away from a lion, yada, yada, yada. Here's the thing. We are not hunters and gatherers anymore. So what we experience on a daily basis, remember, real or perceived threat, still initiates this fight or flight sympathetic nervous system response. So maybe it's a traffic jam. Maybe it's waking up late for work, missing an alarm. Maybe it's getting a stressful email. Maybe it's responding to a crime scene. It can be a myriad of things and the the body, the physiological response is still the same. 
what's happening because these are just small little moments in our lives is we're not taking the time to initiate that relaxation response. The stress really just never gets decompressed, in other words. And so what we experience is that our sympathetic nervous system is on a lot more often than it used to be or than it's designed to be. So there's another part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that is designed to rest and digest. It signals the body that the stress is over and it initiates this relaxation response. So what we want to practice is learning how to regulate this system, right? Recognize when we've switched into the sympathetic nervous system and then realize that it might be imperative on us to take a moment to then initiate this relaxation response. So a lot of the techniques or conversations that we're going to have this season are going to be talking about this topic. I've got a couple of ideas in mind. I have some books that I've read that have been really helpful that, you know, I might just recap a little bit and provide as references. Um, If anybody has any techniques that they super love, please connect with me. Maybe we can have you on the podcast and we can talk about your experiences, things like that. That's what I'm really interested in because I think that we all recognize the situation that we're in and we just want to learn some really practical tips. The topic of today's episode is the practice of yoga nidra. In Sanskrit, yoga nidra means yogic sleep. It's a relaxation practice that systematically changes cycles through brainwave states, lowering beta and increasing alpha, theta, and delta. Yoga nidra changes the fluctuations of the mind by slowing down brainwave frequencies. In other words, it's an ancient practice of remaining awake and aware while we experience different states of consciousness and the transitions between them. We might experience this already in in subtler forms as we're shifting into and out of sleep. So this is just a practice to become more alert of those transitions. It's important to note that there is a scientific component to this technique, and there's also a philosophical component. And while I'll be mostly focusing on the scientific component, I just want to take a moment to explain that most of what I'll be talking about today is the benefit of an advanced yoga nidra practice. And what I mean by advanced is that You know, when we start a practice of anything, whether it's going to the gym or playing baseball or becoming a new forensic scientist, we are not as adept to the nuances of the practice. So we may not feel all of the effects that I'm going to talk about today. What we may simply experience is a moment of relaxation. The meditation techniques that many people practice, including yoga nidra, is simply a relaxation technique, a mental agility exercise. And there's definite benefit to these practices, but I just want to clarify, the yogi in me wants to clarify that philosophically, true meditation isn't something that any of us are are necessarily capable of performing quite yet in our lives. Maybe we're working toward that goal. And so we won't experience the true states of everything that we're going to talk about, but we'll experience some. The beauty of these types of practices is that to the extent that you put in the work, you will see the result of your effort, right? So it's cause and effect. Most of the resources that I used for information about today's episode was from Julie Lusk, who is the author of a book called Yoga Nidra for Complete Relaxation and Stress Relief. 
Also, Richard Miller, who is a yogi and clinical psychologist and founder of the iRest Institute. Some of the reading, if you're interested and you want to check out those resources, they will discuss both the scientific and philosophical component. And of course, any yogic scripture will discuss the philosophical practices of meditation, of Yoga Nidra specifically, if you're interested. So if you want more resources, please feel free to reach out. So just practically speaking, to give you an an idea of what a yoga nidra practice would look like, it's typically performed lying or sitting in a relaxation pose, and it combines relaxation techniques, breath work, meditation, imagery techniques, visualizations to lead the practitioner into this conscious state of deep relaxation. Aside from just having your mat, you might have pillows and blankets and bolsters to put under your knees and basically anything that you might need to get yourself in the most comfortable state possible. So you might be thinking of, you know, do I fall asleep when I practice yoga nidra? And that's what I'm saying in these beginning stages when you are not as proficient in the yoga nidra practice, you may in fact, fall asleep. (laughs) I've been to many practices where I suddenly hear snoring from people across the room. And, you know, that just means that those people were in a sleep deficit. And we just put them in such a instant sleep state that, that that's what their body needed. And so the body took it. So that might happen if you have um, just begun this practice. You know, many of us, as I said, are already in a sleep deficit. And so it might be necessary to restore that sleep debt first before we're able to actually practice the session fully alert without falling asleep. Also, typically, if you were to go to a yoga nidra session, there would be a facilitator that would guide each of us through the breath work, the body scans, the various stages of the practice, and then guide us to this more alert, conscious state. But you can practice yoga nidra on your own if you understand the different stages of the practice, one can learn how to guide themselves. I laughed when I first started learning a little bit about yoga nidra because body scans was something that I was very familiar with. I remember being a little girl and my grandma really directing me through body scans when I would say, I'm too tired to fall asleep. And she'd say, just start with your toes and stay the Tell yourself that your toes are tired and then your ankles are tired, your heels are tired. And she'd say, by the time you get up to your neck, you're going to be sleeping. So don't worry about it. You'll never even finish. And so many of these techniques might be familiar, but it's the specific sequence that is really meant to guide you into increasing states of relaxation. Let's talk about some of the health benefits of yoga nidra. Yoga Nidra has been found to help cope with daily stress because it activates the relaxation response. So it deactivates the stress, activates relaxation. It can resolve trauma. When we get into these increased states of relaxation, it allows the body to start to heal and repair, right? Remember that sleep is where most of our body cellular activity repair takes place. So when we get into these states, some of the central nervous system healing can begin to take place. So people have been found to decrease depression and anxiety, relieve chronic pain, again, improve sleep. One hour of advanced yoga nidra can equal four hours of deep sleep. Even if you're practicing in the early stages, it is just great preparation for a very restful night of sleep. 
and it can be found to increase creativity. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but for us science folk, I think it's very interesting that the German chemist August Kikule, I probably said that wrong and I took four years of German, so anyway, he discovered the benzene ring. Trivia fact, he discovered the benzene ring while daydreaming. So while he was in one of these states of consciousness that we'll get into where he was experiencing a different brainwave activity, uh, he started daydreaming about atoms dancing and they turned into snakes and then one snake took hold of its own tail. And when he came back to his most alert conscious state, he started writing down and theorizing about the benzene ring. Okay, so let's get into a little bit more of the science side of things. The brain is made up of a network of cells called neurons that communicate with each other through electrical brain waves. These brain waves enable you to experience thoughts, emotions, and interaction with the world. Brain waves are patterns of electrical activity occurring in the brain, and there are five types, gamma, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. Today, we're primarily going to talk about the last four, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. The pattern of brain waves that we experience can change depending on our level of consciousness. And so those last four are the ones that we experience most often. Research has shown that one brainwave state may predominate at any given time, while the other states remain active pretty much at trace levels. Healthy brainwave activity is important for mental health because too much arousal can result in obsessive compulsions, panic attacks, anxiety, um, nightmares, right? And too little arousal can lead to depression, chronic pain, insomnia, etc. So if you've ever heard me or anyone else talk about the window of tolerance, this window of tolerance would be where you're pretty much in this normal state of being, but sometimes we get a little bit too aroused and we go outside above our window of tolerance and sometimes we go below. So that you can think about that in the same way as what types of brain activity we are predominantly supporting. If we're always hyper aroused and we're not getting enough of those slower, lower brain wave types, then we're out of sorts. And same thing the other way around. If we're always in this really lethargic sort of state, then we're always kind of outside of that window of tolerance on the lower end and we're stuck in the off position. And again, depression, insomnia, things of that sort. So we're really trying to just find a practice where we can find this healthy state of brainwave activity. Brainwave activity is measured in hertz, cycles per second. And so as we go through these different levels of brainwave activity, we'll find that Gamma, which we're not going to talk about too much, but it is the uh, lowest amplitude, fastest wave, and it's associated with higher levels of consciousness. We're really not going to experience it with yoga nidra whatsoever. Beta brain waves, those are what we're probably at most of the time in our waking state. So a beta brain wave oscillates at 13 to 40 cycles per second. And so that's our conscious thinking mind our waking state, strongly engaged, um, if we're actively completing a task, if we're speaking or teaching and we're focused on something, I am engaging my beta brainwave activity by speaking on this podcast right now. So I'm actively involved. It's required to process information. But you don't want too much of this 
Large amplitudes of beta can be associated with stress and this sort of monkey mind that produces high levels of cortisol and adrenaline. Remember, the endocrine system, hormones, and the nervous system are all interrelated when we talk about the stress response and also the relaxation response. So it's important to keep our beta brainwaves in check. At normal levels, they are completely healthy. Then moving on to alpha brainwave activity. So alpha brainwave activity oscillates at about 8 to 13 hertz or cycles per second. So it's a higher amplitude, slower wave. So we're going down in energy. So it's this optimal state of relaxed alertness. A good example is if you sit and you complete a task, right? So you're using beta wave activity, but then you stop and take a break. That moment of taking a break to reflect or just to relax, any of those activities will initiate the alpha brainwave activities. It integrates all levels of the brainwaves and allows for a flow of consciousness. So alpha brainwave states are pretty important. We're probably experiencing beta a lot. We want to make sure that we're incorporating a little bit more alpha because alpha brainwave activities allows for that natural communication between all of the brainwaves. Remember, they're all present at the same time at trace levels. So there's going to be some communication. Alpha brainwave activities also tunes the brain to peak performance and facilitates gene expression for better health. The slower state of relaxation, of being, tunes the body for repair of our cells and this um, rest repair, right? So think about the parasympathetic nervous system kicking in when we're in these alpha brainwave activities. So moving on to theta brainwave activity, this is like four to eight cycles per second. And you can start to think of this in terms of our thoughts. This is like four to eight thoughts per second. Now that sounds like a lot, but our brain, it's wild. When we're in the beta state, we're talking 13 to 40 hertz. We can be having 13 to 40 thoughts per second. You know, the brain works at these levels that I, I cannot comprehend but um, we're really slowing things down here at the theta level. So it's an even greater amplitude, slower brainwave. And this is um, often called our daydream state, where tasks sometimes become so automatic that you can mentally disengage from them. So when you arrive to work, but you have no idea how you got there, <laughs> you likely were in this theta brainwave state while you were driving. Uh, runners can get into this state, or perhaps if you're doing like a yoga flow, you can get in this state if we're being creative, maybe we're painting or working on a project where you're not actively thinking, you're just doing, this would be that theta state. This is likely the state that the benzene ring was discovered in, right? This daydream-like state. It's really prone to a flow of ideas. So we're because we're not actively engaged in like thoughts, and things are being connected, thoughts being connected to one another, we're really free from censorship of our thoughts or guilt of our thoughts or anything like that. And so we get into this really just slow down, daydreamy like state where things are okay. We're allowed to have thoughts as they come. And we're really not sitting in judgment of any of them. And so even more healthy things arise from being in this state. DNA starts to repair itself and antioxidants increase in activity when we're in this state. So again, 
important for us to get into these slower brainwave states. The slowest state would be the delta state. So this oscillates at one to four hertz. Greatest amplitude, slowest brainwave. This is our deep, dreamless sleep. It is the most restorative state, and it is where most rest, repair, regrowth occurs, right? So this happens while we're sleeping. Um, it's that state when you're, you're not even dreaming, right? You're just dead to the world. But this is the state in which our telomeres grow, our neurons regenerate, so our memory and learning capabilities are enhanced. This is a really imperative state for us to be in. This is why if we don't get enough sleep or deep sleep, we often can really do some harm to our physical health because that is when our body is resting and regenerating. The key here is really that we want to bring the body through these different states of brain waves. A good example is uh, when we're we're sitting in bed, maybe reading a book before we fall asleep, we're probably in these low levels of beta, right? We're actively thinking because we're, we're reading, but we're pretty chill. We're still in that beta state. But when we turn off the lights and we put our head on the pillow, when we start to s- attempt to sleep, we're going to transition the brain waves from beta down to alpha and then to theta as we fall asleep and Uh, finally to delta when we're actually in that deep sleep, right? So dreaming occurs in that theta state. So does daydreaming. So when we're still kind of awake, all of that happens in the theta state. But we want to get down to that really rock hard, solid sleep of the delta brainwaves. When we start to wake up, Conversely, we start ascending through those different brainwaves. So we'll come back through theta and then into alpha and finally to beta. With yoga nidra, what we're trying to do is get that progression of lower and lower brainwave states, but we're doing it consciously. We're not doing it in our sleep. We're trying to manipulate our brainwaves to lower into a more resting state on purpose, while we're still awake, while we're still alert enough to notice what's happening. This is again is why I stated in the beginning that the first time I was in a yoga nidra class, I drifted away from what the facilitator was saying time and time and time again. Sometimes my thoughts were going, you know, the the facilitator was saying one thing and in my head I was like, yada, 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 yada. So I was 100% in the beta brainwave state the whole time. And then when I was falling asleep, I was, you know, going into this theta and delta state without actively being aware of it. So the the key is to find yourself practicing enough so that you're gaining more and more control. And then you can reap the benefits. And if you're a fluent enough practitioner in this technique, then we can facilitate our own practice. When you're in true yogic sleep, advanced yoga nidra. It's like being in deep sleep, delta brainwave state, except that our awareness remains alert and awake rather than unconscious. It might feel similar to having just fallen asleep or on the verge of waking up, this transitional state between the two. So let's talk about what we might experience in a yoga nidra practice. But it's important to know that there are different sequences and different types of 
protocols that different teachers might employ. So I mentioned Richard Miller earlier, and he is really been studying yoga nidra since the 70s. Um, I mentioned he's a yogi and also a psychologist. He works very specifically with different groups of people doing individual sessions and group sessions to really use yoga nidra as a prescription to ease an ailment that one might be experiencing. So whether it's resolving a traumatic event or working with post-traumatic stress disorder, he works a lot with veterans. The script that one uses might be a little bit different. What I recommend if you're interested in practicing yoga nidra, there are so many facilitated scripts available for free online. Find a group that resonates with you that is either more general in the experience or if it's got a specific message that we're trying to work on, you know, make sure that that resonates with you. I'm going to go through essentially a very general yoga nidra experience. The first thing that we're going to do is create a relaxing environment. So you need your space to be set up for maximum comfort. What I mean by that is that you would be wearing comfortable clothing. You would put yourself in a room where you can adjust the lighting, put it at dim setting or ambient lighting, maybe some candles, something restful and peaceful. The temperature should be pretty moderate so that we're not getting too hot, we're not getting too cold. And we wanna be in a room where there are no distractions. This means we turn the cell phone off. This means we tell the kids and the spouse that we need a little do not disturb sign on the door for a minute. We need to not be interrupted. And we really allow ourselves the time and the space to work on this practice because we deserve it. If you know that there's a lot of ambient noises, then it is possible to turn on some low level music. You know, instrumental would be best so that we're not distracted in any way. And then we are going to either lie down in what we call Shavasana pose, um, which is essentially just lying on your back, legs perhaps spread a little bit further than hip distance apart, arms down by our sides, maybe palms up, but whatever is comfortable for us. We may also choose to sit or lie on our side. Whatever position we get into, we want to try to be effortless in the practice to stay in that position. So we can use pillows, blankets, bolsters underneath the knees, an eye mask if we want. Sometimes we get a little bit cooler as we start to relax. So even if the room feels okay in the beginning, having a blanket nearby so that we can cover ourselves up. We don't want to get so, so comfortable that we fall asleep. Remember, the point of the practice is to remain conscious and alert. But if we are using the practice really to fall asleep, then feel free to climb on in bed and turn on an audible script and see how it works for you. The next thing that we will do in a yoga nidra practice is set a sankalpa. A sankalpa is uh, just a Sanskrit word meaning resolve or resolution. So it's really just setting an intention for the practice. This is important because... Remember, we're going through these different brain waves, and the lower and lower we get, the more rust, restorative, repair we have going on, the more uh, creative we are in our thoughts, the less judgmental we are. So this is a really, really fertile ground to plant a seed for the subconscious mind. 
And it's best to do so at the beginning of the practice. We also come back to it at the end of the practice. Whatever the sankalpa is that we set, it's a phrase to affirm something that we're feeling or that we're striving for. And we state it in the present tense, even if it's something that we're working toward. I am calm and peaceful. One that I like to use is I am enough. All of my efforts are enough today. I don't have to be judgmental about anything that I'm not accomplishing. This is enough. I am enough. Whatever resonates with us, um, we choose a sankalpa because we are very receptive to change during the practice. And we're just taking advantage of neuroplasticity. The nerve cells of the brain have the ability to reorganize and restructure itself after a certain training or practice experience. So we can really truly make lasting experiences if we practice the same sankalpa regularly. It's imagine it, you know, or visualize it just being a prescription for healing. This is how Richard Miller works to resolve trauma, working with post-traumatic stress, working with chronic pain. This neuroplasticity is really the science behind all of it. Then we will proceed through a systematic relaxation of the body. We begin with the eyes closed. We become attentive of the present moment, aware of the physical body. We may be prompted to bring our attention and awareness to the amount of light that's filtering through our eyelids, the ambient sounds that we might be hearing, the way that our clothing feels on our body, the spaces where we feel heavy in our body and the spaces where we feel light. And we'll be directed through a body scan to go through and really think about all of those things for every part of our physical being. Typically what happens with a body scan is that you start with the head and move down. Sometimes you may be directed down the right side of the body and then focusing on the left side. In this body scan, there's no judgment and there's no real effort involved with the exception of just bringing the attention to that specific part of the body. You know, you may begin with relaxing the jaw, noticing where the tongue is resting in the mouth, seeing if we feel tension between the eyes. And we would proceed through all of the different parts of the face, the ears, right? Moving down the neck and into the shoulder, down into the elbow. The facilitator will follow the body parts. You can imagine, as my grandma taught me when I was a kid, it's a really relaxing process. Because what you're doing is starting to shift out of the beta brainwave activities and into the alpha. You're starting to get a little bit more daydreamy, a little bit less heavy thought flow. So our thoughts are slowing down. We're starting to initiate that relaxation response. The next thing that we'll focus on is on the energetic side. Diaphragmatic breathing will likely be facilitated in some way where we're beginning to notice the inhale and the exhale. Focusing on allowing that exhale to last a little bit longer than the inhale. We might count the breaths. Just something to get us in this rhythmic, parasympathetic, nervous system environment. Again, here, the alpha, the theta, and the delta brainwaves are starting to get increased in their intensity as beta is lowering. After we've begun to relax our physical body, and our energy, 
body through breathing, then the next step will be to relax at the mental and emotional level. And so some of the facilitation that we might focus on or hear, it would involve visualizations, visual meditation of walking in a field and the things that we might see, um, you know, something to start letting our everyday thoughts go, but engage the imagination. So we're still very alert, we're still very conscious, but we're starting to practice this level of being alert and conscious while instead of using the beta wavelength, allowing theta to um, predominate. So whatever the visual stimulation might be, it can be different in, in every class. By this stage in the practice, we might be feeling big pauses in our thoughts, big spaces of thoughtlessness. And some of us may have fallen asleep and drifted in and out, but those of us that are still awake and alert during this process will notice there's, there's sort of a, a sweet release of feeling absolutely peaceful and calm with no traffic of thoughts in our mind without being numb to the world. I think sometimes we may have experienced, at least I have, you know, I'm just going to come home, turn on Netflix and like numb out the world. That'll stop the thoughts from racing through my brain. That is not initiating the relaxation response. However, when we're in this state, we've done all of the work and we have brought ourselves to that state that we're, we're maybe trying to reach when we are binging. We've reached a state where we just can sort of revel in this lightness. Eventually, we will be guided to transition back to our full alertness. But before we get to that point, we'll usually be given the opportunity to remember and reinforce the intention that was set in the beginning of class. Typically, you'll be asked to repeat that back in your head multiple times, maybe three times, before we will start to draw our attention out of this Shavasana state. So you'll likely be encouraged to bring awareness back to the breath. Feel the belly start to rise and fall. Perhaps we bring a little bit of movement back to the fingers and toes. We begin to slowly start to wake up, begin to open our eyes and come back to the state of full consciousness, full alertness, back into probably a low beta wavelength activity. So if this is interesting to you at all, just this practice, again, advanced yoga nidra, like if you pick up a yoga text, yoga nidra will be experiencing all of these same general principles. When these yogis are practicing, they are truly getting into those delta brainwave activities. I would say that we are striving for the delta brain waves, right? <laughs> Again, you can check out a class. You can check out some of the guided facilitations online. There are books that you can purchase. Again, you can train yourself what these stages are and get guide yourself through your own practice. If you are looking for a very specific goal for yoga nidra, you know, using it more as a prescription for a specific ailment perhaps like chronic pain, insomnia, 
There are people like Richard Miller with the iRest Institute, where there are, are trained practitioners to take you through very specific protocols to deal with certain issues. That's my little caveat. If we're working on a very specific issue, there are people who are trained to facilitate in those areas. And so it would, it would be prudent to find someone who's got that training. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or want to know um, a little bit more about where I did my research or if you need some resources, I am happy to share with you. And good luck. Enjoy your yoga nidra experience should you decide to embark upon one. Namaste. Namaste.